Hey everybody, welcome to the second episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. Today we're going to be discussing a book that's uh, near and dear to a lot of us, I'd imagine. This is going to be Justice League number one from May 1987. This is the uh, start of the Giffen, DiMatteis, and Maguire League, of course. Uh, this one was originally put up on Chris's on Infinite Earths.com on January 1st. 2017. It was my New Year's Day post, and there was an important reason for that, uh, at least to me. Uh, we will get right to that reason as we discuss a little bit of Christery. Now, if you listen to the first episode of this program, you'll know that uh, I was not terribly keen on starting my own blog uh, back in the day here. I just saw blogging as a I don't know, responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be a little bit more fun to uh, contribute to other people's blogs and actually have one to call my own. Now, if you've ever tried your hand at blogging, you probably know that it's not always the most fun thing in the world. Uh, uh, you know, the reason I wanted to do this was to maybe, you know, interact with folks who had similar interests as me and, uh, you know, maybe be able to talk about comics. I hadn't really talked comics since probably high school, uh... For my adulthood, this just became something that I did. You know, I really didn't uh, didn't know anybody else who did it. So that was part of the reason for doing this, was to, uh, to meet folks and uh, share our fandom and stuff like that. And uh, blogging, a lot of times blogging feels like you're just typing into a void, you know. You're, uh, it's very lonely to, ju to just blog. It's, very, uh, it's a very static... Uh, form of communication, I suppose. It's, you know, just word on, words on a page. And uh, you don't always get the kind of engagement you're hoping for. I thought maybe by being part of a different site, uh, I'd maybe get some of that, even if it wasn't from readers. Maybe it was just from other writers. Uh, either way, I was, not, I was not down with starting a blog. And uh, with today's piece, uh, I can kind of prove that. You see, uh, over the past several years before starting Chris's on Infinite Earths, um, New Year's Day was a day where I would always try to start, you know, my next big writing project, my next big blog. It was always going to be a, a comics fandom type of a situation, maybe a read-through type of a deal. And each year I'd pick a, basically a different property. Uh, you know, one year it would be an X-Men blog, the next year a Teen Titans blog. Well, in 2015, it was going to be a Justice League International read-through blog. And uh, I remember New Year's Eve, I was uh, like chomping at the bit to start this. I thought it was going to be so much fun to revisit these stories and uh, and just start digging in and moving moving through the, the entire series uh, in blog form. And that uh, inspiration sparked me the following morning. I opened up a brand new blog. I thought it was uh, very cleverly named. It was the Boaha Blog. And it's still up. It's uh, boahahablog.blogspot.com. You can see the entire thing, which is basically a half a post. Because <laughs> around lunchtime on January 1st, I was done. <laughs> I just... Uh, the inspiration struck like lightning and uh, passed just as quick. I wasn't, uh, I just wasn't in it, I guess. Uh, I guess I like the idea of planning more than actually executing a project, which uh, probably speaks for to all the uh, unfinished works that I have on on thumb drives all over the place. Uh, <laughs> now, if, if you'll uh, grant me the indulgence here, I will read to you the entirety 
of the blahaha.blogspot.com here. My preamble was as follows. The Justice League International America Giffen DiMatteis League has been something of a comfort food for me over the past 15 to 20 years. It is one of those legendary comic runs that keeps me coming back. I'd probably run through the hundred or so if we were to include JL Quarterly and JL Europe issues once or twice a year, contributing much to the growth of my pile of unread comics, new and old. Reading as many comics as I have over the past 30 years, I often read an issue once and file it away, never likely to be seen or read again. The Giffen DiMatteis era Justice League, however, is different. It's special. It's a near-perfect mix of superheroics, soap opera, and sitcom with unforgettable characters. I was introduced to this version of the Justice League almost by accident. It was during 1992's Death of Superman storyline. The Giffen DiMatteis era had already come to an end. However, much of the cast remained. Justice League America number 69, Down for the Count, was where I quote-unquote met this league. Growing up a Marvel kid, I expected a more Super Friends Justice League than what I got. You know, where was Aquaman? Wonder Woman? The Flash? Who was his bowl haircut-having Green Lantern? Fire? Ice? I was lost. These characters all looked, for lack of a better term, cheap. I remember reading it and just waiting for Superman to show up. I was only reading this book to follow him anyway. Being a completionist, I picked up the next couple of issues of Justice League America that were part of the Funeral for a Friend storyline and the post-Doomsday restructuring. It was during these issues, number 70 especially, that the character dynamics hit me. Booster Gold and Blue Beetle's friendship was on display as Ted lay critically injured. Booster's own crisis, with the destruction of his costume, which resulted in the loss of his powers, was riveting. Guy Gardner finally showing his respects for the fallen Superman by wearing the black armband was the final straw. These characters were rapidly winning me over. Imagine my disappointment reading Justice League America number 71, where many of the characters I'd just fallen for were replaced. My only hope in following the Justice League exploits of Booster, Beetle, Guy, and the rest lie in the back issue bin. Now this was 1992-1993, and the speculator market was still a thing. Month-old issues of many comics were priced up to double cover price and placed in the bins. My hopes for collecting the previous 68 issues of Justice League America with my meager lunch money budget were slim at best. Or so I thought. I stumbled across Justice League number 1 for $2.50 at my local comic shop. This was over three times the original cover price, but it was a number 1. In 1993, number 1s may as well have been a brick of solid gold. I guess this would be a decent place to begin the review slash discussion of the issue... Thank you for reading this block of self-indulgent text. I hope these first few entries won't be too much of a chore to read through as I shake the blog webs loose. Well, that was a moot point because there were no further blog entries. There wasn't even... this one didn't even finish. Uh, (laughs) Now, that's, uh, that's what I wrote on January 1st, 2015 to introduce, well, nobody, to, uh, my Boaha blog. Uh, it's funny looking at the, uh... The price for that Justice League number one, $2.50, which was a steal back in the uh, early to mid-90s, where now you could probably get two to five <laughs> copies of Justice League number one for that price. It's uh, it's silly when you think about just how how everything changed. Now, with all that done, let's uh, hop right into the issue. Okie doke, Justice League number one, cover dated May 1987... 
Title of the issue is Born Again. Plot and breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Script by J.M. DeMatteis. Penciler Kevin McGuire. Inks Terry Austin. Letters Bob Lappin. Colors Gene D'Angelo. Editor Andrew Helfer. And came with a cover price of 75 cents. We open on the now iconic image of Guy Gardner sitting alone at a meeting table for the Justice League of America. He is waxing poetic in his mind about how he will run this new league as its commander-in-chief. His mental monologue is interrupted by the arrival of one of his teammates. This is Black Canary. They share a few choice words about uh, Alan Alda and Sylvester Stallone before being joined by their next arrivals. This is Mr. Miracle and Oberon. Oberon is acting, uh, well, kind of uncharacteristically optimistic about the current arrangement, and he offers a hand of friendship to Guy Gardner, who uh, dismisses him as one of Snow White's dwarves. Uh, I believe it was uh, Sneezy. Uh, as Oberon starts the storm out, Captain Marvel appears. Next up, Blue Beetle and Martian Manhunter. Now, John is in an especially dour mood, and uh, when Beetle points this out, John turns to the monitors and purges the fallen members of the prior incarnation of this team. These are the ones that we know as uh, Justice League Detroit, uh, Commander Steel, Gypsy, Vixen, and Vibe. We shift scenes to the innovative concepts building in Washington, D.C., and here we meet a man named Maxwell Lord IV. He arrives to his office and sets himself down in front of a bank of monitors. He appears to be having quite the pleasant day. On the screens are various news reporters discussing the new Justice League of America and questioning the wisdom of a team of superheroes surfacing in the wake of all the stuff going down in Legends. Lord flips the station over the Wheel of Fortune and scratches the word America from the JLA's title in his notebook. So clearly he's thinking uh, bigger than just America. Back at HQ, Guy Gardner is getting into everybody's face because, you know, that's what Guy Gardner does. It quickly becomes physical because, you know, Again, this is Guy Gardner. At this point, Batman and Dr. Fate arrive, and uh, order is quickly restored because, uh, well, you know, Batman. Next, we shift scenes to the United Nations in New York City, where we find the new Dr. Light. This is Kimio Hoshi. She's pacing in the ladies' room. Today was the day she was set to address the General Assembly. And wouldn't you know it, her new Justice League communication doodad is alerting her of a meeting. She flashes back to a meeting she had with a facially obscured, to the reader, gentleman, where she was offered a spot in the league. The beeper finally stops beeping and she exits and uh, walks directly into a group of terrorists. She's ushered into the main hall and forced to sit down along with the rest of the hostages. She's able to sneak an alert to the Justice League via her communication device, which triggers the monitors at League HQ to, you know, get all alerty. Guy Gardner couldn't be happier until Batman... You know, tells, tells him to uh, maybe uh, settle his tea kettle a little bit here because they're going to do things his way, not the Guy Gardner way. Which, you know, if uh, if Guy's track record is anything to go by, uh, you know, World War Three is not out of the realm of possibilities. The news reports indicate that the leader of this terrorist organization has a bomb grafted to his chest. And, by all appearances, he ain't afraid to use it. Though, he is yet to make a single demand. We also learn that the bomb is triggerable by a change in his, you know, alive status, which is to say, uh, it'll go boom if his ticker stops ticking. With Captain Marvel and Dr. Fate flying off ahead, the rest of the League heads off in Blue Beetle's bug. Upon arrival, Cap informs the Bat that Fate has left the building. Well, it was short-lived. Anyway, Guy Gardner is given the gig of securing the building using a ring construct, which, uh... 
uh, guy just ain't, he ain't too pleased with that. He'd rather be busting heads than doing uh, doing de- playing defense. Inside, the unidentified terrorist leader is pontificating about people who are suffering. We get some very nebulous faux-freedom fighter sort of stuff here. In the hallways, Black Canary, Captain Marvel, and Martian Manhunter are positively wrecking fools, while Blue Beetle commandeers a communication device in order to uh, keep up appearances to the terrorist boss. Momentarily, John uses his invisibility power to tip off Dr. Light. Gardner is alerted that it is his cue to enter the fray. Batman leaps onto the terrorist leader and Light does her, uh, you know, her light thing, which causes one hell of a distraction. During this distraction, Gardner bonks the baddies with some construct bricks. Or maybe a uh, sledgehammer. It it, it, it could be either one. Now, with Batman face-to-face with the big bad, he demands everybody leave. The terrorist threatens to trigger the bomb. However, Batman is steadfast in his decision to leave him be. Despite some concern from his teammates, the League exits the main hall. We advance to the news reports indicating that the man, who is now identified as one John Charles Collins shot himself in the head, killing himself, which, uh, oddly enough, didn't lead to that bomb in his chest going boom. We now see that the news reports are playing on Maxwell Lord's monitor bank. He corrects a reporter's assertion that the Justice League of America is back by just referring to them as the Justice League. He then thinks to himself, how would a terrorist shoot himself to trigger a bomb when the bomb had no firing pin? Well, you see, Max Lord set the whole thing up in order to legitimize his leak. So, uh, I think we're in for a bumpy ride. You know, it's funny. Every time I go back to these early Wahaha issues here, uh, it's always kind of surprising because they're not as, you know, Wahaha-y as I was, uh, as I'd recall them to be. Um, I mean, sure, we've got a bit of levity here in the dialogue, but, uh... I mean, if you look at it, we've got some pretty heavy stuff here with the, uh, we got the terrorism, we've got, uh, John purging the system of the, uh, of his former teammates, it's a lot heavier. Uh, each time I read this, I'm surprised at the, uh, at how heavy it is. Uh, you know, going back to John, he's, you know, he's actually got to push that button in order to purge the bios of all of his former teammates. It's pretty brutal and it's kind of eye-opening because when I think about John in this time, he's generally... You know, the straight man that uh, Booster and Beetle are kind of bouncing off of the whole time. And uh, here he's more of a uh, more of a tortured soul, more of a regretful, and just really somber. And we can see that he's dealing with a great amount of uh, pain. It's, uh, you gotta wonder, he's uh, very, you know, trepidatious about assembling a new league because of what happened with the old one. Uh, you gotta figure that he's looking at all his new teammates as potential casualties at this point. Uh, you really gotta feel for him. Uh, it's really cool that we have a Martian here who is among the more human characters uh, in the DC Universe, you know, let alone in, in this title. If we jump over to that terrorist threat, uh, we find out, of course, that it is orchestrated by Max Lord. And, you know, just because he didn't have a firing pin and, you know, the bomb couldn't explode... That doesn't mean that this guy wasn't dangerous. <laughs> you know, Max really uh, risked a lot of people's lives here. Um, what if what if this fella and his teammates would have just opened fire or just started snapping random necks? Uh, I'm not sure that's something we're supposed to think about, or maybe it is. Maybe that does feed into how little concern Max has for... Uh, uh, collateral damage in uh, legitimizing his his new league. It's 
it's pretty wild to think about, though. Um, especially when you think about it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this guy is not afraid to put a bullet in his own head thinking he's going to blow up the U.N., you got to imagine that he's not going to hesitate to shoot a few people uh, or, you know, like I said, snap a few necks. It's just all very, very heavy to consider um, just how bad this could have all went, how this could have all blown up in Max's face and in the League's face. Uh, we also got to remember this is going on during Legends or right after Legends where the public perception of superheroes is kind of low. Uh, the trust just isn't there. And... uh and if this would have gone south, or, or further south, I suppose, uh, this could have been really detrimental to the uh, to the community. It's uh, it, it's just really really interesting to consider what what might have gone, what might have happened. Uh, almost makes you wish DC had a what if line, you know, just to, <laughs> to see how this would have played out. Um, I, I think that could have been definitely not a good thing, but uh, perhaps interesting to explore. Now, going back to what I said earlier about this not being, you know, as sitcom-y as, uh, or as silly as I recall it being, uh, we, we do get, you know, a little bit of a inter-office communication between the League members, uh, but like I mentioned, it's not as lighthearted as it would ultimately become, uh, we've got some, like, real animosity here. It's not like we're seeing you know, Black Canary kind of cocking her head to the side and smirking when, when Guy's being a jerk because, you know, oh, well, that's just Guy. Guy's being Guy. Or, you know, uh, the Martian Manhunter cocking his head like, oh, what are we going to do with you, Guy? We get a feeling here that there's like an active and aggressive dislike toward Guy here. Um, perhaps even among the other team members who uh, just aren't uh, comfortable yet. That That level of comfort really hasn't set in just yet. And we really haven't gotten to that point yet where uh, Guy's uh, quirks, I guess, uh, are uh, are kind of charming, I suppose. Um, we're not yet to that point where, you know, Guy, he's, he's yeah, he's a jerk. He's a the horrible jerk, but he's our jerk. And uh, and they would, uh, you know, stand behind him. But I don't think we're, we're quite there yet. Um, talking about the issue here, technically, uh, great dialogue. The art is amazing. Uh, Demetrius has an amazing way with words, which, I mean... It isn't a surprise to anybody who's read his work here. Uh, his ability to take these characters that absolutely, positively do not see eye to eye and make them coexist in a natural and organic way is awesome. Kevin McGuire's pencils, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's say something that was never said before. He does very good faces. <laughs> um, but seriously, you know, I couldn't imagine another artist on this title. I, I think about how... Uh, he was originally going to be on that Justice League 3000 with Giffen and DiMatteis, and that something fell through. I, I don't know exactly what. And and while I'm a huge Howard Porter fan who ultimately drew that series, uh, I can't help but uh, wish that McGuire was there with it. Uh, he's he's definitely part of the package here, and uh, I feel I feel that this book would have been lesser without him on art. So yeah, I mean this is a this is an issue that. I've, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have, have read it. If not, you should. Um, it is definitely worth your time. It's been collected countless times. It is available digitally. I will uh, link to the uh, DC digital version in the uh, show notes. Uh, there's always those single issues too. Uh, you can dig those out. I, I would say they're most definitely worth a hunt, and they're not going to break the bank. Um, these are, for whatever reason, at least in my neck of the woods, uh, they are quarter and 50 cent bin fodder uh 
which is a shame, but uh, I suppose it, it makes them a little bit more accessible to, uh, to curious folks. So there's that, I suppose. I do want to mention that there is a uh, podcast that covers this era of the Justice League. It's on the uh, Fire and Water Network. It's called the Bwahaha Podcast. I will link to them in the show notes as well. Or uh, Actually, I'll do you one better. I'll, I'll see if I can't track down a promo, and uh, we will close out this episode with that. Thank you all so, so much for listening. Uh, this has been Chris's on Infinite Earths on the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find all of our stuff at chrisandreggie.podbean.com on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you want to find podcasts. We will be there. All the links will be in the show notes, of course. You can get a hold of us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at CosmicTmill, at Reggie Reggie, and at Ace Comics. We definitely want to hear what you think about this kind of a show. If it's something you want to hear more of, please let us know. Now, if you visit chrisoninfiniteearths.com, if you see a post that you'd like me to talk about here, or if it's a post you'd like to talk about on here, just let me know. We'll see what we can't work out. You can also check out the show site at weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, where you can find all of our show notes, all of our links, all of our images, and... All of our episodes in chronological order. If you, if you check it on the Podbean, it might get a little lost. So long for now. Look forward to visiting again real soon. See ya. Justice League International, Bwahaha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blahaha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it?